Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. But, uh, you know, just like just like garden anywhere, it's, it's a constant experiment and you, you learn and you try to take some notes and then be able to find your notes the next year so you can you know not make the same mistake a second time, which uh, I'm not very good at doing is like always I'm always you know trying to say, all right, yeah, by Valentine's Day, I need to plant my tomatoes. And usually it's about the, the second or third of March that I'm planting them. And then they're always, you know, a couple of weeks from being ready before uh, before it gets too hot in the summertime. So it's. That's from my interview number 162 with Denny Cray, which is a great listen. He talks all about vermiculture. Hey, everyone. So I just want to remind you that this is the most important time to be taking good notes on what's working well, what's not working well, what don't you want to forget come next February and March when it's time to order supplies or do your design you know, what are your favorite seeds or what do you want to plant more of? Do you want more broccoli? Like you might think I am never going to forget this, but you probably are going to forget it. And um, a great way to support the Green Organic Gardener podcast um, would be to get our garden journal. That's got a beautiful butterfly that I took a picture of on our lilac. So it's like a little part of our home and your home. It's got blank pages and line pages and um, it would really support us a lot. Um, so, but most of all, we want you to have good records. Today's podcast is sponsored by Forager Project, family owned, 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making the world a better place than they found it. Forager crafts dairy-free yogurts, kefirs, milks, and sour cream using their hero ingredient, organic cashews for the creamiest base for all of its products. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food, and they are equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They've provided voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote and on social at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, August 28th, 2020, and I have a very um, patient guest who's like, last time I missed our interview, and she's been listening to my story, and so, but I know you guys are just going to love her, and she's a rock star millennial, and she has the most amazing Instagram feed. You're just going to love it. So welcome to the show, Erica Nolan. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to reschedule and that we worked it out and just to share your story. So go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself since they haven't seen your Instagram yet. Thank you, Jackie. My name is Erica Nolan. I own a woman-operated business called Instar, and it is essentially a landscaping business, but it's very different from most in that we operate organically. Um, We specialize in edible gardens, butterfly, hummingbird, pollinator gardens, and we consider ourselves garden artists. We do green walls. We do, um, you know, big projects uh, like orchid walls or really there's no limit to our designs or what we do as long as it involves plants. So... Uh, well, I always like to at, start my show. I have so many questions, but I do like to start out like, asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Like, who were you with? 
You know, it's funny to think about it because I really attribute my first real gardening experiences to the Amazon. I spent six months in Ecuador and Amazon after I graduated college and I was volunteering at this biological research station. And there I was doing a number of different tasks. One of them was working in their edible garden. You could only imagine what an edible garden looks like in the Amazon. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but, you know, I do have a memory come back to me as I say this to you now. And that's being a kid and hiding out under the banana tree in my backyard. There was always a fascination with nature, at least some curiosity that kind of drove me to it. And I knew um, always that I felt comfortable with nature in plants. And I think it was then my time in the Amazon that really solidified that relationship and made me decide I need to figure out a way to make nature my life, my work. Um, and so I spent most of my 20s trying to figure that out. And, uh, but eventually I got here through a, a long process of blood, sweat, and tears. And it's just been a beautiful journey. So is that how you learned how to garden organically? Or how did you get there? Or have you always uh, done that? Well, after the Amazon, I really kind of traveled all, all over. I was trying to explore who I wanted to be. I actually did marketing um, for this high-end department store. I taught preschool for a while. I pursued a music career in New York City. I was traveling everywhere and just trying everything. I had no idea that I could have a career with plants. And then it wasn't until I moved back home to New Orleans, I decided to go back to school uh, for horticulture. I had this dream of maybe owning a bed and breakfast and growing my own food, a very romantic lifestyle. And I figured, well, I need to learn how to grow food. So that's what prompted me to go back to school. And so I got my certification in horticultural studies and then further received my license in landscape culture, landscape horticulture. And from there, it all kind of snowballed. I, at the time, was living in this small New Orleans shotgun style home and had about 50 square feet of gardening space. Not much at all. I grew in pallets. I had a little like three foot by three foot raised bed where I'd have one peanut plant and one pepper plant. And I just hustled every way I could. I, you know, attribute a lot of my knowledge from school. I think school gave me sort of a foundation in understanding plants. But then it was completely experience and just trying everything I possibly could. Um, picking up landscaping jobs, uh, driving Uber, <laughs> selling plants, propagating plants growing, you know, a dozen hot peppers and selling three bottles of hot sauce at the farmer's market. It was just, um, you know, I, I couldn't do enough as it related to plants. And I really wasn't sure where I would end up. I just knew that I had to 
manage plants <laughs> and make some money. So then how did you get where you ended up? Well, so I continued that process for quite some time and I got some landscaping jobs here and there. Um, you know, I did okay for the first year, certainly wasn't making any money, but enough to like scratch zero. <laughs> and then um, when my husband and I bought our first home, and I had more space to build an edible garden. I built 12 raised beds. And as soon as I did that, the business exploded. All of a sudden, there was this obvious interest in growing your own food. And, uh, and that's such a unique niche that most landscapers, even now, seven years later, are not very savvy with at all. Um, and so I filling that niche, but also loving landscaping and gardening organically. Um, it really kind of kept my palate open to all potential. And, and still to this day, I mean, my team and I, we love plants. We love all plants. We love growing food. We love orchids. We love bromeliads. We love ferns. We love tropicals, boxwoods, hedges, topiaries, the whole thing. So I think by having sort of that uh, interest and curiosity about all things nature, it's really just opened up so many opportunities. We've had clients open to us to kind of creating whatever we wanted to create. And so that's sort of improved our portfolio to a degree and our experiences. So how many people are on your team? I have five women. Let's see. One. Let me just double check that. <laughs> One, four, five. I actually have six women, including myself. And then the way that my business works, and I am very transparent about this to, to everyone, is I subcontract out specialists. So most landscaping companies, at least down here in New Orleans, are sort of an umbrella company that train their employees to do a little bit of everything, a little bit of irrigation, arboriculture, the full shebang. Um, I learned very early on that that wasn't very feasible. I learned that by hand digging a 3,000 gallon pond by hand. And I recognized in that moment, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert at this. It could take me a day versus a month, you know, with a bobcat. Um, and yeah. two, my husband had a business called Dirt Diggers and ran a backhoe. So. Yeah. <laughs> he called it the back saving, back saving hoe service. <laughs> I totally get it. That's awesome. That's a great name. Um, but also it was about providing this premium service the best of the best and the only way i was going to do that is if i subcontracted out the best of the best in their field so i have a very tight knit team of subcontractors one for irrigation that's only done irrigation for 20 plus years same thing with arboriculture same thing with masonry and i've been working with these guys for for years now i mean it's taken time to find someone whose communication is up to par, whose, you know, final product and overall service is up to par, 
Um, and so I've gone through quite a bit of the industry to find this group of people and they have all done just their job, just their specialty for at least 20 years. And so now I have this really passionate in-house team of women that they're intelligent, they're, uh, they work hard, they're, um, you know, there, I think there's so much fun for our clients in the gardens because, you know, they're eager to, to talk about what they're doing and they're intentional. And then we have this kind of next level of subcontractors that we're also extremely close with um, and have a pretty tight run ship with that can offer the best possible service across the game and organically. Well, these are all golden seeds that I'm sure my listeners, because I have a lot of listeners who are really interested in growing their own gardens, but I have a lot of listeners who are interested in creating green businesses. And just you have shared so much about your journey and how um, how hard you worked and all the different things you tried. I'm sure, where did you go to school for horticulture? <laughs> um, it's a community college down here called Delgado. I originally went to Arizona State and received my Bachelor of Psychology there. Um, but unfortunately, um, that was the only program at the time, and that program no longer exists down here. Um, and so, I would love to see further horticultural education uh, revisit our city. That's for sure. Well, maybe you might have to be the teacher. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people are learning how to teach just watching your Instagram a lot. And then um, and just by what you, it sounds like you're doing in your community. Thank you, Jackie. I, you know, I'd love to have some sort of course to set, students up to be able to become licensed horticulturists. I don't think that would be too challenging. And I am working on setting up workshops here soon, um, COVID style, of course, at my personal homestead to kind of get more hands on the garden um, with folks. And so, you know, trying to figure out how I can best educate those around me and share this beautiful world is definitely a major focus of mine. And how long have you been doing this? I mean, it, it seems like you've come a really long way. Are you still at that same place you were talking about in the beginning? Yes, actually. We've been here um, at this property that we have built our original beds on for about six years. I've had the business for seven. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, I also know of many gardeners who are interested in starting up their own gardening business as well. It's very liberating um, and shackling at the same time, but mostly liberating and fulfilling. And, you know, what I try to convey to folks who are interested in doing this work, along with any other business startup, is you cannot work hard enough. There's just no such thing. And at the same time, you have to recognize a balance of wellness. So it's a bit of a conundrum that, you know, I've gone back and forth with, continue to do. Um, but it's like I'm always striving for balance of wellness 
as well as working my ass off. I mean, just working as hard and challenging myself as much as possible. But the next thing I would say is really very critical, and I can't imagine the success I've had without it, and that is um, honesty and humility. Because there, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, I'll continue to make mistakes. And recognizing the mistakes and holding yourself accountable and making sure that you're taking care of the client and the situation in every way, every way possible. You can, you know, always discount your work, do extra, you know, do work for free if you have to, if it means that's the right thing versus the mistake that you made. Um, and so I think that that really was the next level of tools that brought me where I am. And did you just learn all that just from doing your business or like, where did you, I mean, just, I, I feel like that's so crucial to really um, be, pre and your work is just like those deep beds that you built. I mean, they're all just like so uniform and perfect and just that you did that is just so amazing to me because I really struggle with construction. Like if I didn't, and I get a lot of listeners that write to me and are like, well, I don't have a mic because my husband is really the gardener and does 90% of the work. And so- <laughs> that you're doing all of this, all, you know, four women and now five women working with you and you've built this business. And I mean, this is exactly what my whole book is about. <laughs> it's oh, just amazing cool. rock stars like you and just the, all these things you're doing and it's helping our planet and it's teaching people how to grow their own food. And, um, you should do a thing on how to build those beds. Like, do you do workshops on how to build those beds? They're just, I don't, that just seems to be a question I get a lot. Like, what should my beds look like? Like, I think even after doing your thing, I went down and, or somebody asked me a question this summer and I went down and talked about the different deep beds I have. Cause I feel like that is such a game changer for people. Like my mom doesn't really grow a lot of vegetables. She grows tons of herbs. She's got flowers everywhere, but actually and I think it's because I just think if she ever had a deep bed, she'd be like, oh my gosh, because she loves gardening. She's out in her garden constantly. <laughs> but I just think that's like a huge secret. Well, I'll tell you what, Jackie, I think the beds have been the easiest thing I've ever done. Oh, you're and kidding. The reason for that is because I started using these metal corners uh, fabricated by gardeners. Actually, you can get a link you can find the link to those corners in my Instagram profile favorite uh, products link. And those things are a game changer. Those metal corners are the reason why my beds are so straight and they took very little effort. Um, and what's nice about them is that if you choose to go with wood for raised beds, then you can switch out the boards really easily too. These boards I have in here will last hopefully at least 10 years. They're stained annually and we have termite protection. Um, so we should get a minimum of 10 years out of them. But when we do need to replace them, it will be very easy to do so. Wow, I never heard of anybody talk about doing anything like that. And you know what? Our, our garden, we are having kind of that problem right now where things are like, like this giant post that holds up my 
piece fell over the other day and then it pulled the board that was attached to it out and just they're kind of rotten because what happens is like where you water it it's just it's just rotted that post right at the ground level and so uh but we don't i guess mike doesn't really treat his boards either um but uh Cool. Link in the Instagram and your favorite products. The other thing I think is so cute is that little heart made out of moss. Like, what is that? Ah, so the moss. That's something people can give as a gift? Yes, yes. The moss hearts you can gift. The moss art that we started creating this past year was just another uh, avenue for us to kind of explore our creative crafty sides with moss. And what's cool about moss is it can be dried and preserved. So there's no need for water. It's basically like a preserved plant that requires no light and no water. Um, and so if there's areas of your home that receive no light, you could never grow a plant there, but you need or want something green, uh, then our moss art is really a perfect option for that. And we can do custom moss pieces as well. So like if you're a business and you have a logo that you want in moss, we can do that. Um, We can really do anything in moss. Moss is just really fun to play with. And I think the importance of it kind of stems from this philosophy of biophilia. And that is improving our relationship with nature, incorporating as much nature for our physical and mental well-being as possible, surrounding ourselves with plants. But not everybody can do that. Um, And not everyone has the space to do it or the time to care for their plants. And so the moss art is really just another avenue for us to, to get closer to nature. But what are they, like, do you build like a frame or something and put it in that and is that like like why doesn't it need water to grow it doesn't need any water because it's it's just dried and then it's dyed with a food grade dye so you know you could say that it is not living anymore but i will also let you know that we've had a lot of this preserved moss come back to life after spritzing it experimentally with some water uh, It's fascinating. Moss is one of the most ancient forms of life on our planet. And so its ability to come back is pretty incredible. Um, But that's the reason why you don't need to care for this moss is it's preserved. It's, you know, technically not living. Um, And we do create forms to mossify. So we attach the moss to whatever form if it's a heart if it's uh, we've even mossified clothes we have a moss jacket a moss headpiece um we've done all kinds of interesting moss wall installations um so really i mean so interesting you come up with the idea or the the vision and and we can do it cool well, listeners, you'll have to check those out. Uh, well, tell us about something that grew well this year. <sighs> you know, Jackie, so much. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but we have so much that's growing well. Um, you know, 
it's taken me years to get to this point. And also my team, like my garden manager and I are both very involved in planning our edible gardens. And so maybe what I'll say is the past spring and summer season, we probably had the best vegetable harvest for all of our client gardens. We probably have, I don't know, a couple dozen edible gardens that we tend to for our clients and we install. And I really think that the, the major key with that was timing. Um, we've solidified this really great formula for planting edibles. And we actually sell that as well on my website. I think it's on my link in bio on Instagram as well. It's my virtual services. We have a planting guide that's like a 20-page uh, Bible, you could say, to the essentials of growing food, the basics. And then we also have this planting schedule that is customized to your zip code. Um, obviously, it changes from year to year, but it has the exact dates of when you should sow every possible vegetable, herb, and edible flower. And so I think if there's one thing I'm most proud of this past year was the abundance that we saw in our edible gardens. And I completely contribute that to the schedule and getting our timing right. I think that is so key. And, you know, I talked to Andrew Mefford who wrote the no-till, uh -huh. I can't remember what it's called, like the no-till organic revolution or something where he interviewed like 20 something farmers who are doing no-till techniques and he said that that was another key there too was the timing but how awesome to have a scheduler that goes to your zip code and tells you and and i think that is so key like i've seen that in our garden and i'm i'm seeing challenges like i've been doing a lot of planning lately this this month specifically for next year because for one reason, I finally broke down and bought the nematodes. Like, I don't know if you've been hearing this everywhere, but I feel like all these soil specialists keep talking about, you need to put nematodes in. Nematodes will like get rid of your bug. Like I have a lot of bug bites on my kale and I don't really care about it, but I know if, you know, I could never take it to market or I don't want to give it to people. And actually they're really bad this year. And so like, not only did I want to put these bugs in the nematodes in where my kale is, but I'm also trying to think, where is my kale going to be next year? And so, so I've been doing all that and kind of like, and I've even been digging up a bed because I'm hoping that like my calendula and my dill that just came up naturally this year in a bed is going to kind of shift over into this new bed in my orchard. Um, because I wasn't able to grow food in there, like the calendula and the dill. I mean, I guess if I would have weeded it out, but it just totally overtook this bed oh. anyway. Um, but yeah, I totally think that getting your things in on time so that is a great resource and i'm so curious about like you're building these edible gardens and other people's wants because i've always thought that would be a really good viable business here because we have a ton of canadians that are really into healthy organic food that mm. either come down on the weekends or that have summer homes here but they go back and forth a lot and so i've always thought that would be a great idea so you build the beds and take care of them Yes, maintenance is crucial. It's, you know, I mean, I would, I would say that 99.9% .9 of our installations uh, continue with maintenance because it takes 
so much work on a weekly basis to garden organically. Being in New Orleans, we are in an extremely hot and humid environment that is just the perfect breeding ground for pests and disease. And you had brought up nematodes. Um, that's something that we're, we're constantly battling. And so we're big fans of beneficial nematodes to knock out the root knot nematodes in the soil. Um, but we, re we have very specific treatments for uh, each pest um, and disease. Um, I'd be very curious about your kale because if you see bites in the foliage, I'd be surprised if that was nematodes. But I will say that we are constantly amending our beds with either beneficial nematodes or if we've seen presence of root knot nematodes, we plant marigolds all around our vegetables, which contain a natural nematicide and uh, attract and kill nematodes on contact or uh, under consumption. And we use worm tea a lot. We worm tea our edible gardens during maintenance weekly as well, which those contain beneficial nematodes. Um, and so. Yep. I, I hear about that all the time too. Yes. Yes. I don't know what's eating my kale and I don't think the, the <laughs> nematodes are going to help it this year, but I just think putting them, I don't know. My husband's like, what are you putting in the soil? Are you sure about this? And I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I've talked to a lot of soil experts who say, um, and so I finally, like I was kind of nervous about it. And then I finally, I paid $28 for this thing and you like put it in a bag and you soak it in a bucket of water for an hour. And yeah. 10 minutes after I put in the water, my dog has like taken it and hidden it in the garden. <laughs> And like, I was like, oh my God, I thought she ate it. I took her to the vet. Like we could not find it anywhere. I spent like an hour looking for it. And then finally at six o'clock that night, there she is walking up the hill with it just in her mouth. <laughs> she oh my gosh. Good stuff. I guess. So we'll see if it even works because it was, it was still damp. So I don't know, but like you're supposed to put it in the water for an hour and then put it in the garden and yeah. that oh. didn't quite happen, but we'll see. Hopefully um, it'll like. I mean, I think it's like, it's like by putting more of these beneficial nematodes in the soil, eventually it's going to build up the soil over years. Like, I don't think they're going to do anything about my bugs in the kale right now. And I don't know, maybe, I mean, you don't think that putting the beneficial nematodes in the soil is going to, we have some marigolds, but they are, I mean, like a f couple of feet away from the kale. Like, you think I should have marigolds right next to the kale? Well, I think one of my I, big problems is kale so I gets think, bugs. Yes. I think the most important thing is really understanding, understanding that sign or symptom. Holes in foliage, to me, signals either snails, slugs, or caterpillars. And there's tons of different caterpillars that feed on different veggies. On kale, I see cabbage worms and also cutworms. And they hide. Oh, they, they're, you know sneaky little buggers that will hide along the soil line during the day. So you won't even really, I mean, sometimes they'll come out and be under the underside of foliage, but oftentimes they come out at night. It's hard to see them. Um, and so for, for caterpillars, we use um, BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, which is a naturally forming bacterium um, that will treat 
caterpillars. In general, we try to hand pick them and then I always remove the foliage that's been eaten if I find the culprit. And that allows me to tell whether damage is new or old based on that hand removal. Um, the marigolds, there is specifically a variety that contains the nematicide. And that is, I think the genus is called Tegetes. I think it's your French marigolds. Um, I don't think the other marigolds have the nematicide, but I would say if you ever have stunted plants that just never seem to take off and when you pull them out, the roots have knotty formations all over them, those are root knot nematodes and that's your opportunity to tackle nematodes, root knot nematodes with beneficial nematodes. Um, otherwise, there's no problem with adding beneficial nematodes or other microorganisms to the soil to boost your soil. That's always a solid thing to do just in general maintenance of your soil. Um, but I think it's really about identifying that very specific sign or symptom um, and then treating the issue that way. And, and we, only, we only spray if it's beyond our control. Like, you know, if we've picked just a few caterpillars and we don't see, see any more, that's it. Or if we see a caterpillar that has eggs on it laid by a parasitic wasp, we'll leave it. So that way it boosts the parasitic wasp population. But otherwise, if it's like an overwhelming population, we're like, oh my God, this is <laughs> way beyond what I probably can deal with, then we'll spray BT for caterpillars. So they're like itty bitty, teeny tiny, like pinholes almost. Mm. all through the leaves like i've i mean i don't i don't know that i've even really looked to see any but but i i mean i can't imagine it's like something big enough like a snail or a caterpillar i guess it could be i mean i've done no research like i said well, i just eat them and don't really worry about too much but yeah i would eat them too and i mean i would just keep looking for them you know i mean don't give up until you find them <laughs> I gotta get out there and look the first time. I mean, I really can't say that I've really looked for a bug, but I just think get they're just big like on these... in there. So much of our maintenance is checking the undersides of leaves and literally just kind of sitting there looking at our plants. Well, your plants are beautiful. The pictures you post, it's just <laughs> amazing and such a wealth of information. Oh, thank you. Hey, listeners, so I just had to cut in here and let you know the update. Erica was completely right. Um, one thing I noticed is I don't go to the garden enough in the morning. So I went down there one morning and because um, usually I'm working and I go down in the evening. Anyway, I went down there one morning and flipped over a leaf. And sure enough, there are these itty bitty, teeny, tiny, like, I don't know, the size of a pin, maybe a little bit bigger than a pin, um, green caterpillars that are eating my kale and the nematode update. So it's been about a month, maybe not even, it does seem like there's less holes. I also mulched, which I had not done. Um, 
but there's still holes. And then if you heard me talk to Lisa Ziegler about it, she thought um, what I should have done was put um, row cover on at the beginning, like as soon as I planted the kale seeds. So who knows? So what's something you're excited to try next year or something new you're excited to try? I am curious about building topiaries. I don't know if you've seen or heard of the big flower fight on Netflix. Oh, uh, I, I might have, I think I've heard of that just recently. I haven't seen it yet. It's not really a new type of design topiaries, but instead of just your typical like shaping plants, like bonsais or, you know, topiary balls, uh, this other form of topiary that's become very popular, I think because of that show is creating sculptures out of plants. And so using metal frames to kind of build some sort of uh, sculpture, whether it's an animal or, I mean, it could be absolutely anything. And I think that would take my, my level of artistry to the next level by building gardens in these really unique shapes is my next interest. And by like, I guess they could be like, I'm thinking, are they like shapes in the ground, like horizontal shapes or like tall shapes, like sculptures that are like vertical? Tall shapes that are, that could be like freestanding. You could have an irrigation system in there. Uh, You could have them floating. I mean, really it's limitless in terms of creativity. Oh, I love that. So tell us about something that didn't work the way you thought it was going to, or didn't work so well this season. Oh gosh. We have dealt with the rainiest season, summer season that I think I've ever seen um, as a gardener. We've had two months of almost rain every day, plus intense heat in the nineties. And so a lot of our ornamental gardens were affected by root rot and uh, root rot is one of those things. There's just not much you can do. All of our gardens are irrigated on an automatic system, but we do have a rain sensor attached. And so typically if we get rain a couple times a week, it's no big deal. The rain, the irrigation system shuts off. Um, and there's not this overabundance of water, but when we have rain every single day, mass torrential storms, um, you know, irrigation doesn't have to come on once and we'll still see this sort of disease and root rot. There's just nothing. You can't come back from it. Um, I have seen hostas come back from root rot, but I was really surprised. Um, but we've seen a lot of shrubs, especially boxwoods, but I've even seen signs on my blueberry shrubs and hibiscus of some root rot. And um, you either have to take the plant out entirely, um, in which case, you know, for some of our client gardens, we've taken plants out. We are letting the area dry out and we're waiting for the rainy season to pass in which case then we'll treat the area with hydrogen peroxide to sterilize that soil 
and then replant. But root rot has been the bane of my summer existence. Oh, <laughs> man, I wish we had some rain. I hate to say that to you. <laughs> we have had, we haven't had like, I think we've had 40 minutes of rain since July the beginning wow. of July or the middle of July. We had a ton of rain and everything grew really well through most of July and then nothing. Just uh -huh. it's so dry and crunchy and things are my fruit trees are just their their leaves are wilting and we just can't keep the water going. Like I've run out of water a couple of times in the last two days. It's uh -huh. just uh so yeah, troubles. Ah, uh, well before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. You can find uh, Deer Fence Supplies on DeerBusters.com. We're located in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. We ship nationwide for free. And if you want 10% off, type in the word fences, F-E-N-C-E-S, at checkout on DeerBusters.com and save yourself some money while you're getting Deer Fence. Hey, everyone. Have I told you about today's sponsor, Forger Project. They are like this awesome company in California. They're a family-owned, 100% organic, plant-based food company dedicated to making the world a better place than they found it. They craft dairy-free yogurt, kefirs, milk, sour cream, cream cheese. They've got kale chips, oats, cereals, um, just awesome things. Their main ingredient that makes the creamiest base for all their projects is organic cashews. Did you know that cashew is actually a seed that comes on an apple? The cashew apple. You can eat the apple and the seed. It's pretty cool. It grows on the outside. Um, Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plate-based food, but they're equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They provided voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote. They're also on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. And now let's get to the root of things. This is kind of the part of the show where we call getting to the root of things. So do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? dealing with disease is my least favorite i you know i love so many parts of the garden and dealing with disease is just like one of those i have no choice it's not fun it doesn't make me happy seeing it <laughs> least favorite so on the flip side what's your favorite activity i really love prepping the soil it's you know obviously harvesting is a lot of fun but my favorite times of year is when the garden's in transition. I'm topping off the beds of soil. I'm feeling the soil with my hands. I'm adding amendments and worm tea. It's that contact with soil that really makes me happy. I love that. Uh, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received, Erica? Timing. Timing in all respects. Planting edibles, but also pruning your ornamentals, cutting your ornamentals back, topping off with compost. It's the schedule of those uh, tasks that I think is crucial. And you've got a lot of um, experience so that you've got your timing really nailed down. So do you keep like journals and records of your what you're doing or? 
We do have scheduled events throughout the year that we know it's time to do certain things. Um, aside from our planting schedule that really directs our edible planting, we have created events in our work calendar that is prune the wisteria, you know, cut back hibiscus, some things like our flowering perennials like salvias and whatnot and gaura, we can tell when it's time to cut them back. When they start looking scraggly, we cut them back to the ground. And we usually confirm that the timing is appropriate. Um, like right now, if we do that, then those flowers will come back and give us another season before frost. Wow. Uh, I'll bet you have a favorite tool. If you had to move and could take only one tool with you, what could you not live without? Pointy pruners. <laughs> I love pointy pruners by Corona. Um, I mean, any pointy pruner is great, but really it allows you to kind of get into a plant and prune really close to the node. Um, I think it allows for detailed precision. Nice. My mom gave me a really nice set of pruners and they're like one of my favorites now. What's, uh, do you have a favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? I'd say curry or omelets. Anything that I can put more from the garden into is my favorite. I always feel most fulfilled when I've got more ingredients from the garden. And we have our own chickens too. So it makes me feel especially good eating omelets. Nice. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to build a chicken tractor. Like yeah. something so my chicken can get, I bought one, but it is so heavy. Like it can really only stay in one spot. It's really hard to move. So I'm trying to build some kind of portable chicken tractor that is secure enough that my dog, who is like obsessed with the chicken and just totally wants to attack it. She's not getting the chicken as a pet thing at all. Um, which surprisingly my other dog and the three cats seem to be leaving it alone. But my one dog is just, she's just a puppy and she's going to take a while to learn, but I'm trying to figure out a way to build a chicken tractor. Um, because he's so, I don't know if it's a he or a she yet, but he just, he like, he follows me around and like jumps on my shoulder. I've never had a pet chicken, a chicken that's done this, but he needs, um, a chicken tractor. Anyway, how about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? I don't surf on the web too much. You know, I'm so busy. I'm a mom of a two-year-old. Whatever time I have, I try to dedicate to Instagram. But my favorite internet resource that we use a lot is the Farmer's Almanac Garden Planner. It's sort of an old school um, design program that allows you to keep track of crop rotation, uh, varieties, issues, it's like our digital planner and we use that for all of our clients gardens and then does it keep your information from year to year besides it That's does awesome <laughs> uh how about a favorite reading material like a book or a magazine or anything that you want to recommend um i'm a big fan of deanna Katz homestead and chill blog i go there quite a bit Is it Homestead and Chill? I always thought it was Homestead and Chili. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> Homestead uh, and Chill. Oh, that's so, I don't know why I read that weird. Because it comes to my, I get her email subscription. Uh, 
if you you do have a business so do you have any advice for listeners on like how to get started in the industry i mean you told us a little bit in the beginning about your beginning but do you have any advice like now about like maybe something if you were starting all over again that you would do differently hmm. i don't know what i would do differently you know i did I didn't from the very beginning keep track of all of my financials. And I'd say probably about two, three years in, I brought in my CFO executive assistant who went through the earliest transaction in my business bank account and categorized it. What I would recommend doing is from day one, set up a business checking account, use QuickBooks, categorize your things and get to know your numbers. Well, how about, all right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to my final question? I feel good about everything we've talked about, Jackie. You can go for it. Awesome. Well, you've shared tons of amazing golden seeds. So, <laughs> uh, okay, here it is. It's a kind of a doozy. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel, Erica, is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? I think educating our children is the most important work we can do about the environment and the organic garden. Um, implementing programs and school gardens, I think, is crucial. Um, getting kids involved to see where food comes from and just facilitate that relationship because no matter how hard times get, we always have that, you know, during this crazy time of crisis that we're in right now, one thing that just really fulfills me is the amount of response I've gotten from my clients of spending time in their gardens that we built for them and really feeling the effects of the peace and harmony that comes from your own you know, immediate environment, um, regardless of how hard life gets, you always have your relationship with nature. And so I think setting children up with that is crucial. I'm a big fan of supporting the edible schoolyard uh, here in New Orleans. There's a few schools, and I think it might be nation nationwide. Um, there are schools with very strong programs in edible gardening and homesteading. Um, I think, I think that is the key to our future. You know, I think there's a grant that people can get now too, that I released an episode. I'll have to look that up for that and maybe replay it. Um, that schools can get to help. Like, I think it helps pay for like a salad bar set up in the school where you can get like the tongs and everything. So if the kids have a garden and, um, just trying to get food, I, I can't remember how it worked. I did an interview with the woman maybe the summer before last. I don't know. I'll have to look into that, but so important. And you, I don't know if you know, but I'm an elementary school teacher by trade, although I'm not going into the classroom this specific year, at least not yet. Um, I didn't uh, have a contract lined out and I wasn't looking for one this fall because I just don't know how teachers are going to do it. I just think, but uh. I think that teachers are like, I have heard a lot of teachers talk about trying to be outside more. I mean, there's so many lessons you can get in the garden. And um, it's just like you said, the feeling, the peace and the harmony that comes from 
being outside is something our kids deserve um, to say nothing of healthier food. So, well, Erica, thank you so much for sharing all these golden seeds today. Tell listeners how to find your Instagram and do you have a website too, or just the Instagram or. You can go to either. Our website is instargardens.com. Um, and my Instagram is at instargardens. I would like to share one quick note on why we're called instar. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you should spell them afterwards too. Sure, sure. Instar is spelled I-N-S-T-A-R. And it's a term I learned in school used in entomology, the study of insects. And it is the word that describes each stage of metamorphosis in development. And so all bugs go through these stages. Ladybugs, you know, look completely different when they're young in stars. And of course, a butterfly's path is from an egg to a caterpillar to a butterfly. And each step of the way is an instar. And I feel that really focusing on all of our potential growth within um, really sets us up for a beautiful experience with nature. And so uh, instar gardens with an S is our website. And our handle on Instagram is instar, I-N-S-T-A-R, period, gardens with an S. And you can find us best both those ways. That's fantastic. That would make a really cool children's book because like my husband, where was I? I was looking at these ladybugs the other day and what their babies look like. And they were just so like the babies look like a bug. They don't look anything like a ladybug. There's no red. They're like black with like orange dots and they look like something you wouldn't want in your garden. And then (laughs) they turn into regular ladybugs. I'm just going to spell it. Both of them. So in it's, or you're, your instagram handle anyway i-n-s-t-a-r dot g-a-r-d-e-n-s instar dot gardens and then instargardens.com um i just feel like it's always extra important to spell things on a podcast um thank you so much erica for sharing today and just have a wonderful weekend and just good luck to you with everything you're doing and listeners go check out her things Thank you, Jackie. Hey, everyone. Have I told you about today's sponsor, Forager Project? They are like this awesome company in California. They're a family-owned, 100% organic, plant-based food company dedicated to making the world a better place than they found it. They craft dairy-free yogurt, kefirs, milk, sour cream, cream cheese. They've got kale chips, oats, cereals. Um, just awesome things. Their main ingredient that makes the creamiest base for all their projects is organic cashews. Did you know that cashew is actually a seed that comes on an apple? The cashew apple. You can eat the apple and the seed. It's pretty cool. It grows on the outside. Um, Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy organic plate-based food, but they're equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote and participate in our democracy. They provided voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote. They're also on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, etc. At Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote.
Porsche.com. Uh, Mike and I have developed some lessons to help you create your very own organic oasis. We'll guide you through the steps to build your perfect natural landscape, an edible earth-friendly yard, a sustainable deep bed garden, or even start a small profitable market farm. We'll show you how to save time, lower your produce bill, collect usable data, eat healthy nutritious food with minimal labor, um, use the most effective and efficient production methods currently being used in backyard gardens as well as market farms, and maybe even help you find some profitable markets. We've designed it to save you time, lower your produce bill, and help you eat healthy nutritious food. Um, there's checklists, there's outside reading, video assignments. Uh, you can join the online Facebook community where there's lots of people from around the world to help you get your garden started today. So remember, freegardencourse.com. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local. Grow local.